0: Let me read for us Ephesians 2. This is good news, church. Paul says, And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked. In the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So he doesn't discriminate here. He's sort of including us all in the same sinking ship. And in there in verse 4 it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he, raised the, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up, and he seated us with him. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We talked about faith last week, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. It's not about how hard we work, so that none of us can boast in ourselves, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God, be with us this morning. I pray that this word uh, would pierce our hearts. God, I pray that we would uh, be confronted by the overwhelming power of your grace, of your undeserved favor. God, we, we, we look to you and we thank you. God, you are worthy of worship this morning. God, I pray for all of us here who come in, uh, in from different places and in different ways and different states of mind. Um, God, all the complex stuff we bring into a moment like this, I pray that you would help us, each of us, um, locate ourselves in your presence. That our our minds would be drawn to you, that our hearts would be drawn to you, and that we would hear from you this morning. God, we thank you that you speak. We thank you that you are alive and well and that you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we started the series on the on the five solas of the Reformation. The Reformation is this movement that began uh, literally 500 years ago this month. And it was a movement, um, it was a protest against the abuses of power and the non-biblical teaching that was happening within the Catholic Church at that time in the Middle Ages. And so um, the the, the five solas or the five alones became the, the clarifying marks of the reformers who confessed together that scripture alone is our final authority for faith and life. There's, there's other things that may lead us to truth, whether it's our tradition or our rationality, or our experiences, our interpretations may be true, but each of those, though important, they are imperfect. Scripture alone is without error, and the Reformers confess together that salvation is found in Christ alone. It's not Christ or, it's not Christ and, it's Christ alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. This is the rally cry of the Reformation. These are the doctrines that we embrace and preach week in, week out. So we asked before, who saved us? Jesus, Jesus alone. How are we saved? We are saved through faith alone, not of our own works. God willing, next week we'll ask the question, to what end are we saved? To the glory of God. And today we'll ask this question, why are we saved? Why are we saved? And scripture gives the answer, Grace alone. Let me give you a little bit of background here on this passage in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote this letter, this is a letter sent to the church at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter while he is in a prison cell in Rome uh, awaiting execution. Likely death by beheading. And he writes this this short but very powerful letter um, to a church that he loves very, very, very much. Now, in all likelihood, Timothy, who is a a dear friend, Paul calls him a spiritual child, uh, his spiritual child, his his companion, his brother-in-arms, likely he is um, there pastoring at this church in Ephesus. And and Ephesus was a city where Paul stayed longer than any other place throughout his missionary journeys. This is a place that he loved. This is a place that he, he knew. This is a city and a community and a church that he knew and loved deeply. And he writes to them, coming from this place of love, coming from this place of affection, coming from this place of, of intimate and deep knowledge, he says, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. You, you, you were following the course of the world. You were following the prince of the power of air. You were, you were sons and daughters of disobedience. You were bound to the passions of the flesh. You were carrying out the desires of the body. By nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of us. Our story, everyone's story, the story of humanity. Paul is reminding this church, and Scripture, the Holy Spirit is reminding us this morning that we were all slaves to sin. They they may not have known it. You may not have known it. You may not have understood your own slavery, your own bondage. But we are, they were, apart from Christ, slaves to sin. Working for this cruel master following the prince of the air. And he tells them what their slavery was like. He says that they were walking according to the temporal values of the world. So you think about the values of the world, whether it's it's money or power or success or fame, uh, or even even the the prejudices that we carry into the world or into relationships or feelings of superiority. He says you weren't walking to the values of the kingdom. You were walking and living bound to the values of this very temporary world. And not only that but you were walking according to the ruler of the power of air, you, of the power of air, you, were, you were a slave to the enemy, which, which produces in us anger and pride and a chronic selfishness. This is how we were defined as a people apart from Christ. This says, you walked according to the desires of the flesh, whether that's the lust or greed or pervasive selfishness, sexual perversion, Paul says, we were mastered and controlled by these things. spiritually dead. This is who we were before God, slaves to this world, and as slaves to this world, again, Paul doesn't say that we were sick, Paul doesn't say that we were terminal, Paul Paul says that we were dead, completely and utterly lifeless, spiritually, without any sign of hope. But then there in verse 4, what does it say? If I was a better preacher and I had a better pulpit, this is where I would be. Slamming my fist down. It says in verse 4, but God. This was our situation before. This is our situation uh, apart from Christ. This is our situation before being saved. We were dead. We were lifeless. We were hopeless. But God, right? Possibly the most important phrase in all of Scripture. R.C. Sproul said, this is my favorite. These are my favorite words in all the Bible. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones famously said that these two words... These two simple words in and of themselves contain the whole of the gospel. You you were this way before, right? This was who we were. This was what defined us. This was our trajectory. This is what we had to look forward to, which was not good. But God, being rich in mercy... He made us alive in him. This is what he did. He made, us, he made us alive. We were dead. He made us alive. He raises us up. And then, and then this is a beautiful phrase. He sits us down with Jesus. As it were saying, it's, it's finished. It's done. The, the work is done. And it wasn't yours. I'm the one who raised you up, God says. I'm the one who made you alive. I'm the one who set you down in Jesus' seat. These first three verses talk about how, how utterly hopeless and lost and spiritually dead in our sins we were. And then the verses 4 through 10 talk about our unending hope in Christ. I think it's important for us as we think about our own story and as we think about how Paul is engaging these people that he loved very much, these people that he knew very well. Um, he doesn't minimize their past. He doesn't say, yeah, you weren't your best before, but look how much better you're behaving now. He doesn't doesn't sweep their sins under the rug. He doesn't minimize their story. He doesn't ignore their sin, right? But as this loving, spiritual father to this community that he helped start, he makes it plainly clear their situation was hopeless. Now, why would he be so hard on them? Why would he be so hard on these people that he loves so much? Part of the reason why is because that's the power of the gospel, It's not just that we needed some medicine. It's not just that we needed some some coping skills. It's not that we just needed some uh, behavioral tools to improve ourselves and our relationships with our neighbors. Paul says, you were dead. You had no hope. You couldn't get anywhere. That's, That's the good news. The good news is that the gospel is powerful enough even in that moment, especially in that moment. And that's the moment that we're all in apart from Christ. One writer says that the apostle chooses not to explain the grace of God until he makes inescapably clear the desperate need of each human being. We are desperate. The good news is that God is determined, right? Why did he do it? Why why does God save us? It says being rich in mercy because of his great love, by his grace... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I think, I may be wrong here, but um, some of our Sunday school kids have this verse memorized, is that right? Kids, any of you have this memorized? Does anybody want to come up? Everybody's like, no, no, not no, I know it, but no. Um, who, Who wants to come up? Surely one of us can come up and recite this verse. Oh, come on, Redeemer. You guys. There were a lot of hands that went up a minute ago. What about if you just stand in your seat and recite it? You're getting so close, sweetie. <laughs> You're getting so close. Anybody else want to? G- All right, Henry. nailed it. Now let's give this guy a hand. So I don't care what you say about preacher's kids, right? I mean, we've got some. This is a verse that is worth all of our church internalizing, memorizing, meditating on. Listen to this word by word. This is Paul telling them why they have been saved. For by grace. Undeserved favor, undeserved love. God coming down to us, for by grace you've been saved through faith. We talked about that last week. It's not of your own doing. It is, the, it is a gift of God. It's something that you receive. It's something that God gives you. It's not a result of your works. Why? Why does he say that so much? He says, so that you won't boast, so that no one will boast, so that no one will be living under the delusion that they made it happen. It was a gift. It was a gift, it was grace. It's his mercy, it's not our morality. It's his, it's his great love for us, not our great behavior. It's his grace in our lives, not our gumption. Salvation is unearned, undeserved, unattainable alone. But God is gracious to sinners. You know, one of the most succinct uh, uh, statements of the gospel news is from John Owen. you probably heard me say it a million times. It's very simply this, God Saves sinners. That's good news. That's good news if you're in this room right now, right? Because whether you know it or not, let me break it to you gently. We are all flawed and broken. We are all in the same position, desperately in need for someone to enter into our mess, to enter into our lives, to know us completely, and to say, man, you've got it bad. In fact, you've got it way worse than you think. In fact, you'll never get out of this predicament without me, but I love you, and I am merciful, and I want to save you. I want to bring you to myself. There's the old hymn, Rock of Ages, maybe some of you know it. There's a line in that song that says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Right Faith faith is this, we talked before, faith is this empty-handed receiving of the gift and blessing of God. We are saved, not because we are good, but why? Because God is good. Because God is good. We don't deserve it, but He's good and He's gracious. Now, what is is grace? What are we talking about here when we talk about grace? Terry Johnson says that grace is the uh, unrequited, unobligated, self-determined, self-motivated, freely given mercy of God. It's undeserved favor. Lewis Burckhardt says, grace is unmerited goodness or love of God. It's something we don't deserve. Grace is the undeserved blessing of God, freely given. Grace is not, I love you for you, right? Grace is not, I love you, I love you for you, I love you because of you. Grace is instead, I love you because of me. I love you because I'm good. I love you because not because you deserve it, but because God is a loving God. In one of his famous sermons on this passage, um, Charles Spurgeon, he, he wrote this he says, "God forgives none because of payments made. If we could bring him mountains of gold and silver, that would be worth nothing to God. If we could bring him tears in rivers, if we could bring alms and outs, or resolves or vows or promises in countless number all amount to nothing but a foolish bribe for grace. Forgiveness, he says. Forgiveness like love. It's unpurchasable. God pardons are absolutely free. He forgives because he chooses to forgive out of sheer pity to the sinner, out of clear and unmixed compassion. God loves and he forgives. That's a good God, church. That's a good God. We can't work our way to God. God has worked our way to us through the person of Christ. He has made us alive. He has raised us up. And he has set us down with his son, Jesus. This, This city that this church is in, that's the recipient of this letter that we're reading, Ephesus... Ephesus was a very, very spiritual city, very, very spiritual. In fact, uh, Ephesus was um, the center. It housed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which was the temple of the goddess Artemis. And so people were very used to trying to buy their way into God's favor with sacrifices or gifts, um, God's, God's power Paul is saying it's far greater than this, this mute and this false this impotent God of Artemis she can't do anything for you you've been working your whole lives for generation to gain this goddess's favor and you can't do it Paul comes to town he says you can't work hard enough you can't pray hard enough you can't behave well enough you can't be obedient enough why? because you're dead Spiritually dead. That's why we need grace. One writer said, I thought this was helpful. We need grace because we are dead, we are defiant, and we are doomed. That's why we need grace. That's why we need God to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. Paul, Paul repeats this twice in this passage that we just read, that we are dead in our trespasses. This is the same image you may remember from the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 37. There's this beautiful story of, of God bringing the prophet along. It says, the, Lord, the Lord's hand was upon me. He brought me out, into the, uh, out in this spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of this valley. You may remember this story. And the, and the writer says, This valley was full of bones, he took him to a graveyard. The Lord took this prophet to a graveyard, and he says, all right, I want you to come here, I want you to see something. Now, now, tell me what you see. And he says, this was a valley full of bones. He led me around, and among them, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very, very dry. Like, he, wanted, he wants to make very clear, this is emphatic in the original language, he wants to make clear, the, this is as dead as you can get. This, these were the driest of bones. This is the same kind of language that you'll see in the New Testament, when, when after... Um, Lazarus has, has died, and it says that there was, there, was even a, there was even a smell of his decaying body, and yet Jesus still, even in that moment, had the power to raise him from the dead. And, and Ezekiel says, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, God, only, God, only you know, right? I don't know, but you know. And then he said, well, then prophesy over these bones. Speak the word of the Lord over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, You bones that are so very dry, hear the word of the Lord. Respond to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you will live and you will know that I am the Lord. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what the whole New Testament is talking about. Our spiritual condition as these very dry bones in the graveyard. But God speaks and makes us alive. Because he's good and because he's gracious. Paul says we're spiritually dead. Not only passively dead, but actively defiant. We are actively defiant in our sins against God. But Romans 5 says that we were enemies, active enemies of God. But we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So much more now we are reconciled. We shall live by his life. You remember the story in the, the Gospel of John. We went through at sermon series on the Gospel of John right there at the beginning, right? In John chapter, six, chapter 3 where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He, then he says this in verse 19. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people, you remember the verse? They love the darkness. That's what they loved. Light came into the world but people love darkness rather than light. Why? Why do we love darkness? Because our deeds are evil. Because we do bad things. Because we don't want people to know who we really are. Because we don't want God to see us fully and completely. We hide from the light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. I was reading this story in uh, famous uh, Augustine's Confessions. And you may know his story. just a, a hellion growing up and had this amazing kind of conversion experience. He wrote a book about it. And there was a story in this book... Um, where there, there's a line in the story he talks about his early days before he met Christ and he said this thing that I want it was bad and I loved it and I, and I loved it and I loved not only the sin I loved not only the thing that I was there to enjoy but I loved that it was sin you know this, the same idea of like forbidden fruit tastes better right There is this thing in us, there is this temptation in us, there is this sort of wiring, this this wrongness in us that, that we are tricked by the enemy to think that this is really what you want. And yet it's the thing that poisons us, like the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. One writer says, while we were continually defiant, shaking our collective fist at God, blaspheming his name, God allowed the whip to scourge the back of his son. He allowed the thorns to be pressed upon his brow and not ours. He allowed the nails to be driven into his hands and feet and not ours, and the spear to be thrust in his side. We were dead and defiant, and we're also doomed. Apart from Christ, we are doomed. Paul, again, in Romans 8, in Romans 5, verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men. That was the sentence. That was the judgment carried out. Condemnation for all men. It says, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. Meaning, meaning not our one act, but Jesus' one act. His faithful act leads to justification, leads to our salvation. Life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam... Many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Christ, many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased. Look at this, and write it down, highlight it. Grace abounded all the more. We just got worse and worse and worse, and grace abounded all the more. But God... God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. You've been raised up with him. You've been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. God wants us to know. God wants us to experience, not just intellectually, like, okay, I get it. I get God is good. He wants us to feel it. He wants us to be overwhelmed by this reality. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. He wants us to sit in that place and be overwhelmed in those moments to think he is so gracious to me. He is so gracious to save. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But he's gracious. He says, this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one for, can boast. For we are his workmanship. In the Greek there, that, that word is a uh, poema. Or we get the word poem, right? So this is, this is the idea that we are God's poem. We are God's creative act. He is revealing himself to us. He is, he is stamping his imprint on us. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. We should be a reflection of our creator, our creator who, who loved us so much. We are, his, we are his poem that he carefully, thoughtfully, intentionally stitched together, breathed life into, poured himself out for, and then purchased for himself by his own death. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? He says, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge. No strings attached. It just goes against every instinct of humanity. The the Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, each offers a way to earn God's approval. Only Christianity, only Christianity would dare say that God's love is unconditional. When I look at my own life, I challenge you to do that too, even as we prepare for communion, that you would consider your own life, that you would consider Jesus. And when I consider my own life, when I consider my own sin, when I consider my own foolishness, when I consider my own selfishness, Martin Luther said that sin is, it's the heart curved in on itself. Isn't that a powerful image? Sin is the heart curved in on itself. Meaning that that as we walk around in this world, in our sinful nature, we are just trying to bend everything to benefit ourselves, and it kills us. So when I think about my own life, when I think about my own selfishness, my own own sin, I I have no merit to point to. I can't stand up and say... Uh, oh yeah, God I, okay, I hear all that. but, but look at this, this look at this, this thing that I did outweighed all that other stuff that's swimming around in my heart and in my mind. I have, I have no character trait worthy of His love. I have no, no deed deserving God's favor. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I am hopeless without it. I am desperate for a gift, a gift. Grace is my only shot. That's all I've got. If God's not gracious to me, if God's not merciful to me, if God doesn't love me, if God doesn't intervene into my story, into my mess, and say, not because you're good, but because I'm good, I'm going to make you alive, I'm going to raise you up, and then I'm going to sit you down because it's finished. You are seated now with Christ. Trust in Christ this morning. Trust in Christ this morning. Thank Him for His grace in your life. Thank Him for His mercy and His love towards you. Maybe for you, trusting Christ today will be for the first time. And maybe for some of you, this is just one more new day. But consider Him this morning. Consider Christ. Consider His grace. I pray that the Spirit would convict us of our sin. I pray that He would draw us to Himself. I pray that we would... um, that, that God's purpose would be made right in our lives, that we would just, we would just revel in. One of my old professors said, well, I just want to be like a pig in slop next to, in, the, in the midst of God's goodness. I just want to wall around in it. I want to feel it and experience it and just rest in God loves me so much. God, we love you because you first loved us. God, we look to you for our salvation. We look to you alone uh, to be gracious to us. Because, God, as we look at our own track record, as we look at our own lives, as we look at our own sin, God, we know we don't deserve it. And, God, I pray, I pray for some this morning who may have have taken the bait, hook, line, and sinker uh, of the enemy's lies that, that we don't need saving, that we're okay God we know that the risks are high and the reward is great and the consequences are great and so I pray this morning that we would trust you God we love you pray that you be with us now we pray all this in Jesus name amen